0: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to episode 27 of We Don't Talk About P-Word. Today we will continue our commemoration of our 50th state's path to statehood. Last week, we ended with King Kamehameha I's successful conquest of Maui and Oahu. This established the Kingdom of Hawaii in 1795. He had almost united the Hawaiian Islands under one banner, with the sole holdout being the Island of Kauai. By 1810, the Ali'i of Kauai agreed to a peaceful unification. He may not have killed all the chiefs, some joined voluntarily, he did fulfill his mother's prophecy by ending the chiefdoms. Kamehameha I, also known as the Great, established himself as the sole ruler of a united Hawaii. Kamehameha was most concerned about ensuring his kingdom's longevity. He wanted to ensure it remained a united realm even after his death. Sadly, the Kingdom of Hawaii, in the scope of history, would be short-lived. Part of his plan included unifying the legal system for all islands. He also used tax collection to promote trade with Europe and the United States. Under his rule, sandalwood became an important export. Its sale in China brought a lot of money and trade to the islands. Alas, Sandalwood was harvested to near extinction. The high demand, combined with damage from invasive species, ended the sandalwood trade. By 1825, sandalwood was no longer a viable commodity. The good news is that in recent years, a project to return sandalwood to Hawaii has been underway. Over 500,000 native trees have been planted on the slopes of a dormant volcano. You can learn more about this project if you're interested at www.hawaiisandalwood.com. Kamehameha's legal system included the Kanawai Mamaloa. It translates as the Law of the Splintered Paddle. The Kanawai Mamaloa is, at its very base, a precept to establish the sanctity of life. This law came into effect before total unification. It was an important aspect of Hawaiian culture. During a raid in the War for Unification, Kamehameha caught his foot on a rock. Two fishermen, afraid for their lives, struck him in the head with a boat paddle. Stunned, he was left for dead as the fishermen ran for their lives. Over a decade after the incident, the fishermen were found and brought before the king. Rather than punish the fishermen, He blamed his own reckless attack on the innocent. He freed the men and gifted them land. Kamehameha then declared this precept. Let every elderly person, woman, and child lie by the roadside in safety. This precept is still alive and well in Hawaii today. It is enshrined in Hawaii's state constitution. Article 9, Section 10. You can even find it represented by the crossed paddles on the Honolulu police badge. The polytheistic religion remained in place throughout Kamehameha's rule. Under his reign, the kapu was strictly observed. Because of this, Christian missionaries did not travel to Hawaii. Like other native populations, the introductions of Europeans brought more than one predator. Diseases such as smallpox, decimated the Hawaiian population. In 1778, the native population is estimated to have been between 200,000 and 1 million people. A study by Pew Research places it at around 680,000. By 1920, that would sink to a low of 24,000. As you will see as we continue, the decline in population would have serious consequences. This would prove to be especially true when it came to dealing with Hawai'i's main predator. Upon Kamehameha's first death in 1819, his most trusted friends buried him in the ancient custom of Hunakele. Hunakele is the custom of burying one's body in secret. To this day, the final resting place of King Kamehameha the Great is unknown. However, if you visit the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C. today, you can find a grand statue of the legendary ruler. Upon his death, his oldest son, Liho Liho, assumed the throne as Kamehameha II, though he preferred to be called Iolani. At the age of only 22, his assumption of the throne didn't go as he expected. Kamehameha I's favorite wife, Queen Ka'ahu Manu met him at the shore clad in his father's royal cape. She made a surprising declaration on the beach that they would rule jointly. She, as Kuhina Nui, our regent. She claimed that this was his father's wish. The council of advisors agreed because of Liho Liho's age. Due to his inexperience and Ka'ahu Manu's popularity and power, he had no other choice but to agree. He became little more than a figurehead pushed to the background. Queen Ka'ahumanu was ahead of her time. She championed the rights of Hawaiian women, which was self-serving but notable nonetheless. She and Liholiho's mother conspired to further their rights. An event occurred shortly after Kamehameha II assumed rule. It would reverberate throughout the life of the kingdom. The two queen regents were responsible for the breaking of the kapu. In a period known as Ainoa, or free eating, the religion of the ancient Hawaiians came to an end. The queen sat down for dinner with the king, breaking the taboo of women eating forbidden foods with men. Although Liholiho attempted to reestablish the kapu, he was too weak. In the face of his mother and Queen Ka'ahumanu, he had little power. The kapu had fallen, ending the prohibition of certain foods for women. This allowed women to eat with men and ended the practice of human sacrifice. This transition wasn't smooth. Liholiho's cousin had been entrusted as the protector of the Hawaiian war god. Kaku Akalani was resistant to abandoning the old ways. He launched a revolt against Liholiho's government. It was hard fought by both sides and many Hawaiians were killed. It resulted in victory for Liholiho, ending the Kapu forever. This paved the way for Christian missionaries who arrived a few months later in 1820. Though the Kapu was broken, Liholiho never converted to Christianity. Mostly, he did not want to give up his multiple wives and alcohol. He was the last Hawaiian king to practice polygamy. Though Liholiho was a ruler, it is nice to know that spoiled children of wealthy parents don't change. Liholiho had a favorite yacht that he overpaid for. He used it for partying and as a place to drink heavily. Lack of care led to a major overhaul because of rotted timber. Within a year of repairing it, Liholiho had wrecked it. In 1821, it was used to kidnap the chief of Kauai. Afraid he would revolt, Liho Liho and the queen regent forced Kalmali to marry her. They kept him in a gilded cage until his death. The kidnapping of Kalmali resulted in a rebellion known as the Hume-Hume Rebellion. Hume-Hume was his son, and he had had an interesting life of his own. He had spent time traveling the world. He served as a United States Marine during the War of 1812, and as a Navy man during the Second Barbary War. He returned to Hawaii with the missionaries in 1820 and went on to lead a revolt after his father's death. He was unsuccessful, captured, and held in exile on the island of Hawaii like his father. In late 1823, following his mother's death, Liholiho decided to visit England. His entourage arrived in London in May of 1824. They had a mixed reception, by the people and the press. Some were in awe, and others treated them like a joke. During their tour, he showed his respect for the dead. While visiting Westminster Abbey, the king refused to desecrate it with his feet. While in London, the Hawaiian court, with no immunity, came down with measles. Liho Liho's wife, Queen Kamamalu, died. Six days later, her grief-stricken husband followed. In May of 1825, their bodies were returned to the islands and interred in the Mauna Ala, or Royal Mausoleum. The short reign of Kamehameha II was over. Liho Liho's younger brother, Kawiki'a Uli, ascended the throne at age 11. He was dubbed Kamehameha III. Kawikiyauli would become the longest reigning monarch of the Hawaiian Kingdom. He ruled for nearly 30 years. The first 14 years were shared with two different queen regents. When Kaui Keauli was born, they believed that he was stillborn. A prophet was called. The baby was placed on a rock, prayed over, fanned, and sprinkled with water. Eventually, he drew breath and cried. The rock that he was placed on can still be seen today, preserved at Kohu Bay. Kaui ruled Hawaii in a time of considerable change. He was torn between the old religion and Christianity introduced under his brother. He created a secret organization called the Hulamanu, or Feather. This group was hedonistic in its pursuit of pleasure. It was a form of rebellion against the Christian missionaries. Early in his reign, Hawaii entered their first treaty with a foreign power. In 1826, the Hawaiians and the United States signed a Treaty of Friendship. The treaty was never ratified by Congress. Despite that, both countries acted according to the articles laid out in it. It is interesting to note here that Hawaii hoped to align itself with Europe over the United States. This was especially true of the United Kingdom, a fellow island nation. Hawaiians did not trust Americans. They saw the slave markets. They saw how Americans treated Africans and their indigenous people. They considered it brutal. They feared their own treatment would be similar because of the darkness of their skin. From early on, they recognized the possibility of being conquered. This was also a time of changing economies. During Kamehameha’s First Rule, sandalwood was Hawaii's main export, and they drove it to near extinction. By the late 1820s, whaling had taken over as their biggest trade and would remain so until the 1850s. It is important to note that sugar was beginning to arrive in Hawaii during this time as well. In 1835, Ladd and Company built the first commercially viable sugarcane plantation in Hawaii. Within the next 30 years, the sugar industry would grow exponentially. In 1839, the first major incident between Hawaii and European powers occurred. Back in 1827, Queen Regent Ka'ahu Manu, a devout Protestant Christian, outlawed Catholicism. She was acting on the advice from Protestant missionaries. All French Roman Catholic priests were forcibly removed. Also, Any native Hawaiians that had converted were arrested and imprisoned. Many were beaten until they renounced Catholicism. Even after the Queen Regent's death, the persecution continued under her successor. The French government responded by sending Captain Cyril Laplace. He arrived in 1839 on a mission to instruct the Kingdom of Hawaii of the power of the French. In an incident history would remember as the Laplace Affair, he threatened war. In response, Kamehameha III issued the Edict of Toleration. A sum of $20,000 was paid in compensation for the priest's deportation and the treatment of converts. Catholic missionaries were allowed to return, and the king even gave them land for a church. They were allowed to return, but at a lower status than Protestant ministers. Catholics were only afforded partial religious rights. Hawaii wanted to remain a Protestant kingdom. In 1840, the first written constitution of the Hawaiian kingdom was enacted. The constitution created a House of Representatives for legislating. It provided the people of Hawaii the right to vote. It created the position of Kohina Nui which was like a prime minister, it also established royal governors over the various islands. Following the incident with the French in 1839, the Hawaiian government grew concerned. wary of further foreign encroachment, they dispatched a delegation of diplomats. Their mission was to secure recognition of Hawaiian independence. In December of 1842, President John Tyler gave verbal assurances of U.S. support. The trip to Great Britain did not meet with the same success. After traveling to other European nations, Hawaii secured Belgium and France's support. They returned to London in early 1843 and this time Britain agreed. Unfortunately, there were no phones in 1843. It often took months to get word to foreign lands. In late 1842, British naval captain, Lord George Paulette, entered the stage. He heard claims that British subjects were being denied rights in Hawaii. Paulette heard this from Richard Carlton, the former British ambassador to Hawaii. Carleton falsely claimed ownership of land in Hawaii at a point where no one owned land in Hawaii. Paulette obtained permission and sailed to investigate the claims, arriving in early 1843. The king was away and sent his chief government minister, an American named Garrett Judd, on his behalf. This infuriated Paulette, who had negative preconceived notions about Judd. Paulette got progressively more aggressive. After threats of attack, the Hawaiian government acquiesced to Paulette's demands. Hawaii was ceded to the British Empire. The hope was that it would be temporary until a diplomatic resolution could be reached. The United States ship, the Boston, was stationed in Hawaii. Its mission was to protect American interests in the islands. Minister Judd met with the Americans on board. From there, an envoy mission to plead Hawaii's case was launched. Representatives for both Judd and Paulette made their way to London. In April of 1843, Queen Victoria's foreign minister provided assurances. He guaranteed that Hawaiian independence would be respected. By early July, another U.S. warship, the Constellation, arrived in Hawaii. A couple of weeks later, the USS United States arrived. In response, British Admiral Richard Thomas sailed to Hawaii. He arrived a few days after the United States. Thomas ended the occupation of Hawaii returning control to the Hawaiian government. A couple of members of the sugar-producing Ladd and Company had helped to negotiate the end of the Paulette affair in London. However, it was not out of any humanitarian interest, but purely money-driven. Ladd and Company had been struggling To keep the company running, they went to Europe seeking investments. They had secured one in Belgium, but it was in danger because of this incident. The French and British governments officially recognized the Kingdom of Hawaii's independence. They invited the United States to sign the joint declaration as well, but we declined. The reasoning was that Congress would need to pass the treaty for it to be binding. The day of signing, November 28th, became celebrated as Hawaiian Independence Day. Following annexation in 1898, the holiday lost recognition. There have been attempts made since to restore it as an official Hawaiian holiday. Unfortunately, here is the sad truth of imperialism. Once Western nations catch the scent of land and resources, there is no holding back the tide. The attacks and machinations are guaranteed to continue. Hawaii is no different. Often, even the best intentions can lead to terrible consequences. That was the result of the Great Mahele, which means to divide or portion. Before the Mahele, land ownership was an unknown concept. As discussed last episode, the land was immortal like the gods, so no mortal could own it. The Constitution of 1840 stated that the land belonged to the people and was managed by the king. Recognizing the danger an influx of foreigners could pose, the king moved to change this. In early March of 1848, he enacted the Mahele. It divided the lands between the crown, chiefs, land managers, and the common people. The idea behind it was to protect the people and their land. In reality, it did the opposite. Since the concept of land ownership was alien to most Hawaiians, many made no claims. Over time, most of the land was sold to settlers from the United States or auctioned to corporations. The Great Mahele is considered the second most important event in Hawaiian history. We will feel its effects throughout what remains of the story of the Kingdom of Hawaii. An almost comical invasion of Honolulu came in 1849. In August, the French Admiral Louis Tromlin sailed into Honolulu Harbor. Tromlin was angry about the treatment of Catholics as less than Protestants. He saw the Protestant missionaries as working to shut out Catholicism. More important to him... He believed that it also shut out French trade. Tromlin made 10 demands of Kamehameha III. The demands were petty and designed to flex French power, and they were not met. Tromlin sent a second warning of pending invasion if they were not. The whole affair unfolded as follows. 140 French Marines landed. With them... They brought two fill pieces, which is just a large mounted gun, and scaling ladders. They captured the Honolulu Fort from the two men defending it, who gave no fight. It had been evacuated before the French landed. The French then destroyed Hawaiian cannons, muskets, and ammunition. They looted buildings and property around Honolulu, causing $100,000 in damages. That's roughly equal to about $4 million today. They even stole the king's yacht and sailed it to Tahiti. It was never returned. After their marauding, the French returned to the fort. The French were ridiculed by the locals who organized an attack party. This forced the marines to double their guard. They also sent out skirmish parties throughout the night. An attack never came. It had been more to mock the French than to attack them. In early September, Tromlin recalled his men and left. At first, the French government acted contrite, but their tune quickly changed. Always so sensitive, they decided it was justified and never made reparations. The 1840s had been a time of major change in the Kingdom of Hawaii the nation came to rely more and more on the Council of American Missionaries and Settlers. It moved from an absolute monarchy to a constitutional monarchy. It gained, at least in the short term, political capital on the global stage. When the French and British recognized Hawaii, it was historical. They became the first non-European indigenous state admitted to the family of nations. The family of nations is an obsolete term for what amounted to a very early United Nations. It included the most powerful nations of its time. It came about after the Treaty of Westphalian ending the Thirty Years' War in 1648. The later years of Kamehameha III's reign saw even further decrease in population. The California Gold Rush brought more trade but also some unwanted visitors. The short trip from California to Hawaii allowed new diseases to make their way to the islands. The decimation of the population from unchecked diseases was blamed on Garrett Judd. He was forced out and replaced by Elisha Hunt Allen. Many of the prospectors that visited were thought to be freebooters. These are settlers interested in provoking rebellion. An early group of freebooters tried but did not find much interest in an uprising. Whether an uprising was imminent or imagined is irrelevant. By the 1850s, Americans controlled most of the business in Hawaii. The primary export market was the west coast of the United States. The king feared for the safety of his kingdom. He was convinced that annexation was only acceptable if to the United States. In 1854, a treaty of annexation was negotiated, but never signed. Its pursuit ended when it lost the king's support. Kamehameha III, a heavy drinker in his youth, returned to it late in life, and as a result, his health declined. On December 15, 1854, Kamehameha III died of what is believed to be a stroke. A statue of Kamehameha III, erected in 2018, can be visited in Honolulu today in Thomas Square. This is where Admiral Thomas returned control of Hawaii following the Paulette Affair. As the reign of Kamehameha III comes to an end, so does today's episode. We'll continue to commemorate the 64th anniversary of Hawaiian statehood next week. Join me as we move towards the events that led to annexation and ultimately statehood. Thank you for joining me on this special episode of We Don't Talk About P-Word. Stay tuned as we continue to explore the Kingdom of Hawaii. Please head over to www.talkpword and subscribe to be reminded when new episodes drop. You can also like, follow, and share on Twitter and Facebook to stay informed about new episodes. Any questions or comments can be directed to talkpword at gmail.com. Until next time, Kikustoria, custodia ipsos custores. Populus facere.